Shalom and thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Elect Life Podcast Edition with Liz McGee. We hope you enjoy the journey as Liz takes you through her mystical insights from ancient Jewish writings. You'll find more info on the website at theelectlife.org. So go check it out and make sure you have oil in your lamp for the coming of Mashiach. And now your host, Liz McGee. Shalom, shalom. Welcome back for another episode. Uh, I've been having a great week. I haven't really organized things. I feel like I'm coming into a place of just finishing touches, so to speak, and organization of something that I have been working on uh, for years. Uh, understanding. And so I'm really uh, getting ready on a major way to unpack, to teach uh, the tree of life. I've realized now that this truly is the 32 paths of wisdom. This is all of the systematic um, encoded in this, all the systematic understanding that the rabbis and sages have always had in order to keep all the information straight in the house of Israel. Um, so for these, this time. But uh, I want to go through, and I'm just going to do a little teaser because I have all these uh, keys. I have been keeping the remezes in files for years. So I have like a whole um, file on trees, allegorically how trees are used widely in all the scriptures, and not just on the Peshat level, obviously, but into the deep sowed, uh, into the more uh, mystical tradition. So uh, there's a very, because, and this is so apropos to start with trees, and I was really excited about this. My next class, literally, that I'll be doing will be on trees. I'm doing one right now on opening of the keys to the kingdom. A, a beginning survey class that kind of introduces the whole concept to the Ephraimite mind, uh, a.k.a. Christian, so they can just really uh, have a great foundation. The foundation has to be laid again. So back to a tree. It, we just had this festival this week. Um, and these are, it's so beautiful. I encourage always Ephraim to go and study and learn and meditate and try to um, – these festivals are so full of spiritual wisdom and understanding. But we just had the renewal of the trees. Uh, actually, you could say we're still sort of in this season right now. And this is a beautiful, um, it is a tradition, but it, it comes 100% from the Torah. And it's a way that they encapsulate um, information and the, the rituals and the traditions, the spiritual energy that goes with this. Um, so these things, these, these festivals are important. Um, so there's a verse in Deuteronomy 2019, and it says that a person is a tree of the field. Now, that is a remez. If there was ever a remez, did I say that, Deuteronomy 2019, that is a remez. But on the Bashat level, which, of course, you know, I all teach according to this. There are links in the videos to take you to videos that will um, explain parts, which is Jewish exegesis, which is a way of layering scripture very clearly and very efficiently, very orderly. Anyway, the, um, the Bashat level of this holiday, the renewal of the trees that everyone was just sort of, you know, to whatever degree celebrating, would be to plant trees. Actually, it has had in the last 70 years a huge impact on the nation of Israel because they have planted so many trees. This is like Arbor Day. But, you know, that is great, and it has a wonderful physical um, renewal to the earth because it has helped Israel's just bloom, uh, blossom, uh, like in a wilderness. And, but more than that, that's just the shot level. 
So we got to go deeper. So the remez is that a person is the tree of the field. See, this is the point. We've been grafted back into, quote, unquote, this tree of life. If you understand anything about the Torah at this point, especially from my teachings, we always, the Torah is always going from, you know, macro to micro, <laughs> you know, from the dot, the very smallest into the total expansiveness of everything that any idea, word, person, a genetic tree of a person, a genetic tree of a word, whatever. It's always expanding. But the other thing to, to understand is that these words, that's how they encode things in it. But on the deeper level, this is really supposed to be what, what's sad to me is that most of Christianity and much of Judaism is just totally always at the shot level on these things. And we're missing this rich spiritual blessing where it's called the wine, the oil, the honey, the aged meat, the aged wine. It has a lot of words um, that we are missing because we're, we just don't know how, basically, been taught uh, and to believe it and to get down to the soul level. But it's a renewal of the time that our whole physicality, because this is what I was going to say with this, it always starts macrocosm, it goes to microcosm. This, the, it's like an accordion, the way this, this whole incredible, Yahweh just, he just runs to and fro, or his angels just run to and fro in very straight circuit, circuit paths. Um, so it is important to see how this, these things get truncated into layers of meaning. But what would be beautiful, and I read this, and it, this is where you begin to get the remezes and the hints in this hobbit, how fruit trees and how uh, the different grasses and how they categorize the different vegetable kingdoms and what they what they refer to, because they really do. There is an absolute principle that everything in the physical world is a metaphor for a deeper spiritual truth or concept. And this is why the Hebrew Hebrew um, language is called the language of creation, and I believe it's a total metaphysical creation or language of creation, because it, it can do this. It can go from you know, on a physical world, the letters are coded to contain physical information, but also the deeper spiritual, the essence, that real DNA in, in deep inside. And a metaphor, it means a symbol, it's a figure and it, of speech. So when you look at the Hebrew letters, this is what you will learn as you keep going deeper. These letters actually are metaphors, are symbols for much deeper spiritual energies and truth. But how these are used this with trees, this is so interesting because when you understand the tree of life, which is not that hard, really, you got to learn about 10 separate, and you got to kind of learn about 10, uh, 22 letters. So really, even a child can do this. The, the, he was, the Jews, Jewish children do this. But the secret of Jerusalem and Zion on how these words are used is metaphors. And it's called for the parts of theme of Rachel. The partsuvim is a word that means sephirith, which means one of these um, emanative, uh, in the broadest sense, emanative, you know, graces, how the Father flows to us. They've identified it. This is in the kingdom. This is in physicality. But it is, so Rachel, I mean, the way the words are all coded, I won't go into it, but anyone who has been schooled in this understands you're totally talking about Malkut. All right? That's what these words, they point direction to where you are. But the earth is the source of life's energy force, okay? So to reference it in a physical, if you take its physical location and you give it its energetic or its spiritual application, and like I said, taking the human being, again, further being the microcosm of the macrocosm on all levels, um, 
this is so trees so let's see this then you can follow a progression because in the three in the world that we live in constantly if you're a living talking human being you are living right now in the world of um 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 yetzara well we'll call of um of asia the world of physicality our physicalness the world of yetzara which is my emotional levels and the world of bedria which is my mentalities what i think are right, in those three are constantly always feeding information and interacting with each other in our body but if you were to take that and apply that in a physical way all right so the tree or right, i mean to say this the land with this is uh equated with the physical the world of asia so that's why these hebrew words because they're so rooted in nature so when it's talking about a lot of times in the bible it talks about the earth the arats and we always just kind of put it out there with the dirt and the plants <laughs> we don't we need to internalize it it's the physical it's our carnal nature the truest way to extract meaning out of that from poor is to understand that the land is the physical is our carnal nature is our world of um physicality world of asia that's how the land is because he he's you know there's going to be this marriage between the heavens and the earth that's a metaphor okay what it's talking about is my physicality which is subject to death will be reunited with my other parts my soul parts that are immortal is exactly what that means so it's helpful now the sea okay so you have the land you have a the sea is constantly used in scripture and it refers to the world of yetzara and it's not physical it is our emotive state and again this is why you know it always talks about the raging sea and you know or a calm sea if you're peaceful or if you're all to i mean these words are used to literally describe absolutely emotional states and trees now this is where we get back down to trees because you plant trees right in the land and physicality trees are human beings this is what i mean a tree is a is a is a it says it right in Deuteronomy a person is a tree of the field see that's an interesting word so you have to see these the word field and honestly truly in the physics of this this is talking about an energy field i mean it's not talking about this is what i mean it's not talking about a little cow grazing field out there or you know that you're going to grow leeks or something in this is talking about energy um dimensions okay energy fields all right and i'm going to continue to flush that out but this is how they code in in very uh, advanced even scientific understanding of the of which we know the things we know to be true in the world so it's important to understand that these three landsea and trees and field are all relating can relate fully and do relate you want to get the meat out of core if you want to get the essence if you want to get the spiritual bread that's there you need to mine it and apply those to these different levels on the tree of life which is telling you where in your where to apply it okay see so the raging of the sea the calming of the seas you know you're talking about your emotional state you you don't you got the pashat obviously there's also you know she was in a boat in galilee you know we don't have to doubt that but in other ways when he's talking there there is this allegory and it's in the emotional state you wouldn't apply that to the mind there's other allegorical words that would apply to that just like we're saying trees 
our souls. And really, it should be it should be souls. When the body is talking about um, people, it's really talking on their soul level because again, that's what's important. We know the body decays <clears throat> until this time of the renewal of all things, um, the true renewal of the trees, in, in, when the tree of life is actualized in its total energetic life, the che that's in it, chai, then we will have this immortality again. But until then, uh, we're going we're gonna to use code words that are close to physicality to describe. Here's another one on trees. See, and this is, so if you know this, this is what makes, to me, the Torah so exciting when you discover this. And all right, so in the second book of Adam and Eve, now these is, the books of Adam and Eve are a collection of writings that are actually very good to read because they give us a lot of information. They were written by, you know, people who are migrating out of Jerusalem in the first couple hundred years, but they took with them a lot of information that they were bringing back to cultures that weren't necessarily Jewish or speaking Hebrew or Aramaic, and they were translating this information. So a lot of times it does come from Greek or from other more, but, but the core, the essence, you can really understand. But to my point, <laughs> it says in the second book of Adam and Eve in chapter 1, verse 8, it says, and in that place were many fruit trees and forest trees. Thank I've covered this one before because, okay, and this is what is called a very simple um, rule of logic, which is how you, you know, they have laws of how you transfer information. You're not willy-nilly. According to this one plan of tautology, it's always inequality. What you say over here with whatever language, and then you say it again over here, they mean the same thing. They're just using like a metaphor. So here we have fruit trees. Okay. And we know that he planted, if you read in Genesis, this gets really exciting to unpack the depth of Genesis. And then we have, you know, the, are the forest trees, or I think it's called the, um, well, I guess we'll just uh, see some of these translations. you got to follow them along to see forest trees, like the tall trees, like, like cedars of Lebanon. They're, they're the um, low-lying trees. See, there's a lot of words that describe, you know, Trees that grow low to the ground, trees that are tower up. But this, but this is, it says that in the second part of the verse. And in that place were many fruit trees and forest trees. Okay? Which probably literally there were. But then it goes on to say in pathology, his sister bare him children. So in other words, you're taking this word and it's equaling, and it's telling you right in the verse that it's equaling children. Now, how could they make that deduction unless they knew that trees were souls were people? And people have offspring, so you can call those offspring, the offspring of the fruit trees and the forest trees, or, you know, this is what they're doing, the fruit, the fruit of the, of the tree. That's the souls. Those are the offspring that come out of it. So his sister bare him children, who in their turn began to multiply by degrees until they filled that place. So there's no getting around the fact that there, with that fruit trees and forest trees are referencing uh, souls who reproduce who uh, produce children. So it, it's very logical. They're not. <laughs> okay, here's another one. Like I said, I'm just going to really quickly. And what, and like I said, I'm building out a whole set of charts and ways in which to follow this. So stick with me. You should send me an email if you're interested in more information or the classes. Go to my website, theelectlife.org. And um, I have a section of the classes and things. 
um, podcasts you can listen to. That's always an easy, fun thing to do. I have a very excellent free video series on the YouTube called um, The Tree of Life. And people really getting familiar with the metaphors, with the words that are used and already coded and defined and to the point to the sewed level. This is the new way, the awakening. This is part of the spiritual awakening that is coming to Ephraim. As a matter of fact, it's here. <laughs> so, all right, let's just move away from that one. I want to cover a few more. Let's see. Here, um, okay, now another thing to talk about, and I mentioned this a few times, but it's very clear that, well, I'll read this book. There's, a, there's another book, Tobit. Tobit is the book, a deuterocanical book in the Catholic Bibles. Okay, and it's a great book to read. So it says, be prepared for the road. Uh, and there's a lot of journeying going on in Tobit. But in this one, uh, just pulled out of context, but you'll see what I mean. Be prepared for the road, and may you fare well on it. And his son prepared whatever was necessary for the journey. And his father said to him, travel together with this person. For the God who dwells in heaven will facilitate your path, and his angel will travel together with you. And they both went out to depart, and the used dog along with them. Now, the thing is, is a dog is a code word for a, a, a companion. Uh, this is where, when I get into the animal kingdom, and I start to unpack, you know, what's referenced with eagles, with, with birds, with uh, the creeping things, with the uh, serpents, with the uh, beasts. With, you know, there's very specific references, but this one, dog is is coded to like, you know, we know this like Canaanite or a, you know one of the pagan nations. But to say, but the point is that they're going on a journey, and the father will give an angel together with you. So when the Zohar or one of the when the mystical texts are talking about journeying from one place to another, it it can mean an actual journey, but in most stories, it is following the spiritual path or the study necessary, the spiritual journey necessary to reveal the secrets of walking in the light of getting down to this level. It's a journey. Hey, it's taken me five, six, seven, eight years to really understand what I'm looking at and to be, I hope, fairly coherent <laughs> in expressing this. So, <clears throat> so another one here is um, the concept of sitting this is another one that's important. So we have walking, you know, metaphorically as a journey, spiritual journey. Then we have lowering oneself. You know, it's important in the New Testament, there's a verse that's referenced where um, Stephen looks up and he sees Yeshua, the king, sitting at the right hand of the Father, which is a very separific position. I'll get there. But in he, he was sitting. And then all of a sudden he stands up. It's very important. They're, they're, they're conveying something. They didn't really see the They didn't see Jesus. You know, not seeing this guy in Hudson. No, it, it, it means something. When he was at rest. So when you're sitting in that you're lowering, then you, Yah sits via his throne. It means he is lowering himself to be concerned with his creation. Remember, Yeshua lowered himself. He became lower than this class of angels. That was, that's really our problem, our dog and us. But this is important. And when, he, when he's sitting and he's at peace and everything is at rest, the throne is, you know, it's at rest. People are sitting, right? When you're sitting, you're, you're resting. When you're, um, but when you're standing, it, it implies much more command and action. 
And so when he is standing at the stoning of Stephen, he's like taking notice and he believed me. It didn't go unnoticed, all right? And I am sure that there was some reap what you sow ramifications in all of that action by the people involved. But the concept, all right, is in lowering oneself to be concerned uh, with creation and with, see, this, he walks among us, feet walking, I'll just say that always refers to this lower level of Asiya, the world of physicality where we, the lowest level, where we are on the earth. We walk on the earth with our feet. So obviously you would refer to that with your feet. I think great thoughts of, of Yahweh Elohim in my head. So that's why higher up in my head, up here, these are the mentalities. It's all very specific. Now, there's here's one that um, a lot of people should be familiar with. Uh, there's a Proverbs 25, 11, and it, it basically says this, a word well-spoken is like gold, apples of gold in a silver dish. Okay, so that's very poetic. And, but what does it really mean? You know, a word well-spoken, which I'll tell you right now, is referring to wisdom. A word, the highest words that you can speak are the words of wisdom from the mouth of a Torah sage. That's what, even higher than a prophet. People who teach the wisdom of Torah in the Jewish hierarchy, so to speak, is a much higher level of attainment of spirituality than somebody who is a prophet. That's just what, but many of them were also prophets. So, you know, you got to get to that level. But anyways, to, to um, Mamanades, who is a, Mamanades, Mamanides, I never can say it, so whatever. Um, the Rambam, uh, in his book, famous book, The Guide to the Complex, interprets the proverb. Now, here's a guy who is schooled in the Torah um, traditions. There's no reason why he would not understand that how this is supposed to be um, uncoded. So he says that apples of gold are the secrets held within the dish of the Torah text. Because this is one of the main principles now. Again, the Torah, you have two types of Torah. And this is a very important concept. This is why you have the Torah. You have the written We'll just call it the text, right? And then you have the oral. This is a huge part of the tradition. You have the oral Torah. And so now it's telling us that the silver is the literal text of Torah. So now we can create this with silver, right? That's what it just told us. Which uh, is the text, is the written Torah. Then the apples of gold are the secrets within the silver dish of the Torah text. So um, here, gold is, is um, it's the secret, see, that's held inside. It is the secrets or the oral Torah, S-E-C-R, I got that. All right? Secrets. Okay, and so this refers to the oral Torah, and it is, See, the apples of gold are the secrets held within the silver dish because it's a, a word fitly spoken, which is a word that would come from this category of wisdom or oral Torah. Okay, so it is like are the secrets held within the silver dish. So the dish is the silver part. The container, which is another way of always understanding, they always put information in the container and they put that container then, whether it even it's a book, in a larger 
uh, the next level would be even larger and more expansive. But um, so I think I made all those <clears throat> connections there. Because this is held within, see, it's always within the wisdom, the kingdom of heaven is within the psychological parts. Remember, heaven is another earth read person, my nephesh, my soul, my, my bodily um, carnal nature. Heavens refers to the dimensions of my soul, my psychology, and my mentality. That's, that, that literally is what they're all talking about. Um, okay, so here's one. This is, there's another um, very enigmatic verse that says, my son, one of the exclamations that Joseph, no, that Jacob made, when he learned that his son Joseph was alive in Egypt. And one of the things is it says, if you read in the mystical writings, that the death of his son, or, or the loss, which he thought was a death, of Joseph and the death of Rachel really just kind of knocked Jacob out of the, it just really kind of knocked him for a loop for quite a few years. I mean, wouldn't it? Here's a guy who, um, because he's carrying on birthright promises for the nations, for the whole, and, and he has such tragic personal hardships. But what it, um, be that as it may, the Ephraim, well, let me just start over, because let me say, because it says, Joseph, when he finds out, he gives this, black, they think this, this gasp of just joy. For the first time, he felt joy of the Holy Ghost. He says, my son, Joseph, is alive. That's what he's from my God. You can see that's so prophetic of what, what our Savior, what the Mashiach said, because of the joy that was set before him. My son, Joseph, is alive. There are people of God in the nations that need to come into the house of Israel during these, you know, these last two days, the footsteps of Messiah. It's all. So anyway, so understanding that, that Joseph is a cover. He said, my son, Joseph, is alive. Not just Joseph, as we understand but all of the offspring that went to the four corners of the earth. So, okay, but there's a verse that says, um, Paul makes this illusion, and, you know, I've just seen so many people trip over it, so to speak. Christians, to me, they just trip over this stuff because they just are still, in some ways, still just too anti-Semitic to understand that Judah has kept the Torah in the house. Okay? And believe in Mashiach. That's the whole point. He is our Mashiach. They will never take that away from us. Okay? Just as we will never take... Messiah and David from them. These are two, two halves of the same whole, reunite, reuniting the whole house of Israel. But the verse says that more are the children of the desolate woman than the woman who lives with her husband. Now, if you understood the two houses and the relationships of this, this is coded to say that the desolate children are the children of Ephraim, the ones that were scattered, the northern kingdom, divorced, sent away, cut off from the covenant. You know, they had no inheritance. It went on for, I think, 2,300 years or something. I mean, it was a long time. Now, I don't know if I have that quite right, because that, that's something different. That's, that, that's something different. But from about 600 B.C. to about, you know, the time of Yeshua coming, the first century. So anyways, more of the children of the desolate woman than the woman who lives with her husband. Who lives with her husband? Judah. Judah never got divorced. Judah always stayed in the house. It's the older brother. So you really have to understand these relationships to understand, you know, what he's talking about. But there are many more Christians. Um, Ephraim has the, uh, the, the, the mantle, the firstborn, the covenant of, of multiplicity, of, of the Bekarah, 
okay? Or it's the barakah. I never get to see um, on them, which is which is the blessing of increase, of multiplicity. They, you know, it, so obviously more are their children. That's what it says. All right. So a couple of these other words that are coded in in a Leviticus twenty two thirteen, it talks talks about a priest's daughter. Now, yes, they're literally daughters of the Kohanim. That's but on a deeper level. The word priest daughter, especially the allusion in Leviticus 22, 13, is to a holy soul. See, Sadiqs, there was women, um, you know, there's holy souls on both sides of the aisle, so to speak. But um, <clears throat> the priest daughter was another word that was kind of, because the holiness in that lineage uh, indicates a holy soul. And women, again, being the you couldn't even be Jewish. You couldn't, unless your mother was Jewish. So, now there's another one here. It talks about the widow. Now, we know there's literal widows. I just became a widow recently. And, you know, okay, so yeah, there's a literal peshat meaning to that word. But on a deeper level, when you're reading it is the widow, the state of widowhood. And this is important to understand because it talks, it, it's also used as the word it's big metaphorically in some of things because the widow that is cut off, it's when the state of the soul, when it departs from the body at death. So to be cut off for the soul or the widow, so she's a widow, is state of the soul um, when it departs from the body. Okay? That's a whole category. House of Judah, um, I mean, the house of Israel was, Judah was widowed, okay? When she went into her, it was like she was widowed, went into her exile because the chicane left. But the house of Israel, Ephraim, Israel was divorced. And those are very important nuances. And, and have ramifications for the state and, and their rectification. So Ephraim being the house of Israel was divorced, which means they were disconnected from the holy, holy name. They were cut off from the covenants and the promises and the hope and everything from the law, the Torah, everything. Okay. Now, she who has no child, okay, is, is a soul that has been cut off, right? Has departed from this world, and it has no continuation in this world. So that has no, is, that soul is cut off. That's the scariest state to be in. That's why, you know, women in Israel, it was so important to have offspring, have children, because it, because you would be, you know, think about paralleling in the spiritual realm that there was no continuation. If you don't, if, in, 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 in the huge tree of life genealogy of all Israel, it would be a very serious thing. So, um, let me look at something here. Let me just give you a couple more. I think it's great. Uh, mountains. Let's just do a couple more. And I'm going to keep doing these little teaser videos and hoping to, um, literally <clears throat> convince you to come into the classes where there really will be the overall understanding and much more meat of the word. So there's one, the mountains. See, another way, in the deepest level, all right, mountains, again, all these words have many levels of meaning. They have levels of meaning even in the, so the world gets our emotion. Say unto that mountain, sometimes we can have a, like a mood of bitterness or an anger that's just like it's a mountain. There's no way you can lift it and get it off. You know, 
But allegorically, the Torah is telling us, yes, there is a way. There are ways to deal with these things. But let me go this back to the mountains. Well, here, let me, the, the way they code, I just think it's fascinating. A lot of the way they code men and women, which is the way kind of male and female. You know, I got to do a whole module on trees and a whole module on male and female because that's huge. And that's in the language, and that has huge ramifications, you know, like all the way down from, you know, can tear all the way down. But frankincense and myrrh, here's one. Um, the, you know, why, would, why did they, this frankincense and myrrh, and I think there was a third thing, I can't remember, uh, that they take out of the garden. Like, what is that referring to? Why do they need those three things? You would think they would need a flashlight and, a, um, you know, some matches and something a little more. Practical, but there on one level, these things always, and I haven't really done it even in these, these separate or these words are also coded primarily and fundamentally and encapsulated in the tree of life. So there's something called the everlasting hills. So, as I was saying, there's mountains and there's hills. Think of it that hills are females because they're, and I, the reason is, is. They do this because of the difference in the male and the female. So and I don't want to go into that right now. Just trust me. But, but mountains um, would be masculine. So the prophets are usually men, and but they're mountains. The everlasting hills are the feminine, all right, e even in a word or in a gender. But the, um, they refer to the everlasting hills. Did you ever hear that expression? The, this is a, that really refers sephirithically Two, uh, the two hays in the yod hay, vav hay, which are feminine. The hay is a feminine marker. So you have yod hay, feminine, uh, vav, masculine, hay, feminine. And they have the, the everlasting hills, because remember, hills is equated with feminine. It's bina, and it is malkut. So this is where bina is the first hay, and malkut is the last hay, down here in physicality. It, and Bina is the most hidden and the most like sublime. Malkut is the one we all see down here, these hills in physicality. So another way that they, um, is the frankincense and myrrh, like I was about to say. Um, hills, Argon are women, and frankincense is women. Myrrh, encoded as a mountain, is for men. Okay? I'm just telling you. <laughs> and I'll give references and we'll get into that more. But just to um, whet your appetite. So again, that it says here, this is from one of the uh, Mishnah, Trak Uma Naso 3. It says, nor put frankincense on it. For the matriarchs are symbolically known as frankincense. See again, you have the, your matriarchs and your patriarchs, and they're also all coded to the separate. Going back, you know, Leah is Bina, and Rachel is Malkut. It, it goes all the way around. Um, they are symbolically known as frankincense, as it says, to the hill of frankincense. And we've already determined that hill is referring to the, the feminine. So, in, um, yet the accursed women, the accursed woman, deviated from their ways. That's a way of saying, again, the blessed frankincense is a, is a lovely fragrance. I guess this is very valuable. It has, obviously, it has properties. It's connected in the upper world. Um, 
and we are talking patriarchal, you know, I mean, to the matriarchs. So it's all, it's all fitting, always completely, you know, they were like the accordion, just completely up and down, these allegories, these metaphors, these symbols. Well, let's see, I'm not going to do that one. From the mountains. This one, say, in the mountains, again, are collectively known as the triad, because there's seven mountains, really, you can fare it out, basically which refers to the lower seven separate. Each one is a mountain also. We'll cover that. But from the mountains, that phrase is known collectively as the triad of Hesed, Gevira, and Tiferet, which is the upper triad in the mentalities. So from, and that's why it says the patriarchs. Um, this, is, this is Isaac. This is Jacob. And this is Abraham. See, there is the, From the mountains, these, these, these Sephiroth, known as Hesed, Kavir, and Shifret, are also equated with the main patriarchs of the whole storyline, um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it, it never kind of breaks this incredible um, typology and typology and ways in which you can apply a metaphor and go really, when you get it, quickly up and down the scriptures. So it is all contained in the letters and, you know, all the little four parts that make up every letter or, you know, and makes these root words, which makes these concepts. So I hope you enjoyed that. So listen, I hope you will subscribe and you'll like this video, you'll share it and check out my website for more classes. And let's, let's move into this great anointing of all the hidden things. Hey, the hidden words of darkness are coming out and they need to and get judgment. But the hidden things of the light, are also coming up. And we need to know how absolutely the whole earth is going to see Elohim and give glory. So shalom, shalom. I will see you in the next session. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Tune in next week as this brings out more on mysteries that matter and more food for the soul. Thanks for tuning in.